0: Point. is there anyone in the house that loves jesus come on has he been good to you i think he has if you're here and you're breathing we believe that you have a purpose my name is jason and before we get started i want to welcome everybody as far between the two of us doesn't mean that you're not a part of this church home doesn't mean that god doesn't have something for you specific so thank you for being here for the people who are here in person And the people that are tuning in online, can we give God a shout of praise one more time? Come on. We are starting a new collection of talks today. It's going to take us three weeks. It's called Normal People. So if you are sitting wherever you are today and you're like, man, I am just an average person. Nothing special about me. Congratulations, because you are the primary type of a candidate that God wants to use. And some of you are saying, no, not me. I'm too blank. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too dramatic. I don't dress cool enough. I have no talent whatsoever. I want you to take some time and look at the people that God used in the Bible and compare them to yourselves. And and, and you're probably doing pretty good. Like if you haven't murdered a bunch of people, then God can use you because he's used murderers. If, if, If you haven't, you know, had... Uh, issues where you didn't, you, didn't, you, know, you don't believe in him or you're not sure and you question if he's there. And, and if you've had those types of moments like I have, congratulations, you're a primary candidate to be used by God. So I looked through the Bible, I took some time, I really just tried to look from Genesis to Revelation and look at all of the different people that God used in big ways And I wanted to look for some common denominators. I wanted to look for some characteristics that were in all of the people that God used in miraculous big ways that were way bigger than they could ever do on their own. And I wanted to find out what were the character traits that were common amongst them. What is the algorithm? What is the blueprint to be used by God? Because those are the qualities that I want to attract and have in my own life. And it's a little different than what you might imagine. I was looking through the Bible. Believe it or not, it had nothing to do with the things that the world puts up on a pedestal. It had very, very little to do with your gender, with your race, with your socioeconomic status. It has very little to do with talents that you have. That's the good news. Because trust me, I think I'm the only one in this church that can't sing. And, and but, but it has nothing to do with that. If you'll look throughout, there were plenty of people that we have no recording whatsoever that they were talented in singing or that they could preach or that they had money or that they were skinny or that they had a full head of hair or they had any of these things that we like just think is like, you know, the crum de la creme means nothing to God. This man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And there's three things that I have deciphered That are qualities that God needs out of normal people to do extraordinary things. And we have access to them all. It's these three things if you're a note taker. I encourage you to write these down. The first one is the people had eyes to see. The second one is they were willing to change. And the third one is they didn't give up. Eyes to see, willing to change, and didn't give up. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about each one of those in detail to the point of nausea. And so today, we're going to be talking about having eyes to see. What does that mean, having eyes to see? So glad you asked. Here's what it means. Looking at people and situations the way that Jesus did. That's what it means to have eyes to see. You see, when Jesus saw Peter, he didn't just see a loud-mouthed, impulsive fisherman. He saw the rock. He saw that he was gonna be one day the person who would preach and have thousands saved. That's how Jesus saw him. When Jesus saw James and John, he didn't just see the brothers of thunder who were rabble-rousers that were leading a rebellion. He saw two brothers with passion that would die for him. When Jesus saw the Samaritan woman, the woman with the issue of blood, Mary Magdalene, he didn't see a female with struggles and with insecurities and with baggage. No, no, he saw women who longed for love and acceptance that could only be found in their heavenly father and that thousands of years later, we can still tell of their story of these powerful women of God. Whether it was the thief on the cross, whether it was Jew or Gentile, No matter what it was, no matter who it was that Jesus crossed paths with, he saw all people as redeemable, as worthy of his time, and as winnable for his kingdom. Woo, I could just say amen right there and be done. Are you guys good with that? We'll pass the offering plates and be out of here. I mean, that's the message right there. Eyes to see people the way that Jesus sees people. But what prevents us from doing that? I have no idea what prevents you, but if it's okay, I'm just going to talk about myself for a little while, and if we happen to have some common characteristics, I'm not talking about you. We're going to be looking at three different stories today. We're going to be looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to be looking at the story of, um, <laughs> what is it? I wrote the message. I should know. Oh, of Nehemiah, and we're going to be looking at the story of a blind man at Bethsaida being healed. those are the three stories we're going to briefly look at some of them are incredibly common to some of you but i challenge you to have eyes to see see what i did there what god has for you in his living word it can speak to you in different ways and at different seasons of your life so please do not fall into the fool's gold trap of oh i've already heard this i know everything there is to know about it you're not that smart and neither am I. But the first one I want us to look at is the story of the Good Samaritan, because this is important. This is coming out of the mouth of Jesus, all right? We don't have that much recorded about what Jesus says. And and so when we do, when there's words in red, my ears perk up, my spidey sense is tingling, I want to hear if Jesus said it. And he's talking about the Good Samaritan. Now, full disclosure, this is a parable, all right? So it's not actual, but this is why it's so important. I want you to hear this. Because Jesus is talking to a group of religious people. Now, there's a big difference between followers of Jesus and religious people. And sometimes we waver back and forth, but Jesus was reprimanded religious people far more than he reprimanded people that we would consider people worth reprimanding. And so they are asking him, you know, what are the most important commandments? They're asking him what we call gotcha questions means they're trying to back him into a corner, they're trying to get him to contradict himself, but Jesus never really fell for it, and he always had words that were just like mic drops. And, and, so, and so they're asking Jesus, you said that the two most important commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and have no others before them, and equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Love your neighbor. Like, are you only on the hook for the people that live right on each side of you? And Jesus is explaining what this means. Now, this is the type of rhetoric that got Jesus killed. So these are not words that are that are flippantly thrown out there. And so I want you to hear the story of the Good Samaritan recorded in Dr. Luke's gospel, and I want you to, to look at it with eyes to see what God might have. This is going to tell us what gets in the way, oftentimes, of we of us. Being used by God, of normal people being used by God. Here we are, we're in Luke chapter 10. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the same road. Hold on, a what? He's talking to me now. He's talking to the religious leaders. Woo, listen. this said to make them mad. <laughs> because the Samaritan was like less than human to them at this time. Here we are, verse 31. A priest happened to be go down the same road, and when he saw the man, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. What happens? Oh, listen, church. Oftentimes we do not want to be inconvenienced for ministry opportunities. He's talking to the priest. Walking down the road, sees a man half dead, and what does he do? He does what you and I do whenever we see a crazy person. We just conveniently move to the other side of the road and just keep on walking. Don't talk to your wife about it. Don't let her know you saw that. I know there's a man on the side of the road asking for money, and we start justifying why we're too busy for ministry opportunities. Oof, I'm preaching to myself here if no one else. Verse 32, so to a Levite which were also different types of priests, when he came to the place and saw him, what'd he do? Passed on the other side, I'm too busy. I've got a schedule to keep up. I gotta get my kids to ball practice. I gotta get home and clean the house. I'm just tired because I've been working, making money all day. I cannot stop and help someone. Ugh. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was. He saw him, he took pity on him. When he went, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. When he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper. Some of you know this, this story. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, this is Jesus, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers, the expert in the law? So like the dude that graduated from seminary, he says the one that had mercy on him. And then here's the words of Jesus. Listen to this. Let this echo throughout wherever you're watching today. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It doesn't take Natural gifts to be used by God. I heard someone say this, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't look for people that have supernatural abilities. Why? Here's the answer, are you ready? God doesn't want to use the people that the world would be like, yeah, of course he'll use that guy. Because then that dude and his talents get all the glory. God's looking for the men and women to lift up, to redeem, and to use that people are like, ain't no way that person could ever do this without God because now who gets the glory? God. God wants to use normal people, but we have to have eyes to see opportunities. But I'm often too busy to be inconvenienced. Ministry will always be inconvenient. It was inconvenient for Jesus to come from heaven to earth. It was inconvenient for Jesus to hang on the cross. Ministry will always be inconvenient. The next story, the story of Nehemiah. Now listen, I don't know if you know about Nehemiah, but he leaves his hometown and he gets a job as the cupbearer. For the king. Now, I don't know if you know the term cupbearer, but it's a pretty good gig. Because everything the king eats, oh, you get to eat first. Everything the king drinks, and he ain't going to be drinking that Boone's Farm wine. He's got the good stuff. Those of you that are laughing, you need to be at the altar call after, because you were a little wild in your college days. (laughs) I'm funny. I don't know if you think that. (laughs) I know it. (laughs) He's drinking the wine before the king does. Now, this is a really nice job, a nice gig, because the king is going to want you to dress nice, He's going to give you access to all of the materials to smell good and have great hygiene. That's important to me because he doesn't want someone who looks terrible standing next to him. The bad part about being the cupbearer is one bad day you die because your your main job is to make sure it's not poisoned before the king does. So every job, every day of work is great until it's not, and then you're dead. But, But Nehemiah, while he's sitting there by the king, he hears something. Now, eyes to see doesn't mean you're just looking at something. Eyes to see mean that you are assessing the situation, you are hearing it, and you are moved by it. Because otherwise, you don't have eyes to see, you are just merely a spectator, sitting on the stands, never on the field, being used by God. That's the difference. Listen to what Nehemiah does. Now, Nehemiah moved from that little town that was in bad shape to the king's palace, like you should stay where you are because you finally made the big time. Like you made it as high as somebody can. Like, moving on up to the east side. Like, he finally got a piece of the pie. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about you don't know good television. <laughs> so Nehemiah has every reason to stay where he is. If you and I, we finally work hard, we're blessed by God, and we move up to the nice subdivision, but, but we see the need over at this place But we don't want to go back to that place because we've worked so hard to not be surrounded by those people. Jesus said, go and do. Likewise, let's hear what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah chapter 2. He hears that his town is in ruin. He hears that their gate is down. He hears that they're vulnerable to attack. And he goes to the king. And he asks him if he can leave and go back. Here we are. Verse 4. The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. So he prays first, and then he answers the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it, so that I can be a part of the process of the movement of God. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king and he sent me. So I set a time. So what you see is the story of Nehemiah going back to the place that needed him. Having eyes to see, ears to hear, and movement. Having eyes to see and not doing anything about it is worse than not seeing it at all. If we believe that heaven and hell are real, we gotta move into action. Now I want you to have a job. And I certainly want you to tithe here with the money from that job. (laughs) Just mostly kidding. But your job is not why you're here. You're in your job. You just happen to be able to make money doing it. That's your mission field. That's your mission field. And you have money so that you can bless others. So I want you to hear this. What God gave you now, he gave you to give away to someone else. That's good, I'm going to repeat that just so you can write it down. What you have now, what God gave you now, he gave you to give to someone else. What's your talent? Can you sing? Well, God didn't give you that just so you can sing in the shower. He gave that so that you can proclaim his glory to someone else. God gave you money so that you can be generous to other people. God gave you another day on earth, not so that you can accumulate things for yourself, but you can use it to serve others, even your family. Now, speaking of serving, I worked for many years in the restaurant industry. Is there anybody that's ever worked in the restaurant industry? Raise your hand. Oh, this is going to speak to you. The restaurant industry is great to work at most days. The problem with being a waiter is that you're really dependent upon who sits at your table if you have a good day or not. Like, you really are. And, and I loved my time being a server. Most days, I like meeting new people, Like like talking to people, I like making money, I like food, it was just a really perfect scenario for me. But, but there was this one couple that came in, they were older, I'm not gonna tell you around what age because I'm not stupid, you fill in the blank with what you think older means. <laughs> Mama didn't raise a fool. You, you, you fill in the blank, but when you reach this certain age, whatever you say it is, you really go one of two ways you either become like the sweetest, nicest, kindest person ever, or you become a curmudgeon, which is a fancy word for a lovable, grumpy person. <laughs> and I don't know whatever age it is that you're filling the blank in with. Uh, some of you younger people are probably thinking, me, no, are you serious? But, but you have one of two ways to go when you reach that age. These people, they chose this path And every single time they came in on Tuesday because it was ribeye special night. And guess whose section they always ended up in? Jason's. Steak was never cooked right. One of them wanted, (laughs) uh, sorry, I'm getting off track, but that's okay. This is bonus, not even in the notes, free. One would get well done with ketchup, judgment, the other one would get medium rare. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a cook at a restaurant, but you want to get the food at the same time. So that's difficult to, to the same table with two very different types of steaks, cooked. And so we always made a mistake, or one was always cold, or one wasn't well done enough, or the ketchup bottle was empty, or whatever. And, and, I, and, and, and they clearly hated me. I wasn't a huge fan of them. And then their check would be around $40, and they would leave me a $2 bill, which is cool for the novelty of it, but not when your check's $40. Drop 10 of those $2 bills. Now we're talking, but but I worked really hard for a $2 bill. So finally, because I was 21 and had the whole world figured out, I went to my general manager and I said, Jimbo, I will not wait on these people again. I have had enough. If those greeters up front put them in my section again, I will not wait on them. Give them to somebody else. If you don't, they will sit there forever. I've had enough. And Jimbo says, oh, Jason, they ask for you every week. Oh, it gets worse. It gets much worse. They, what? Why would they ask to sit in my section? Because clearly this is a miserable experience. It's like me asking to go to the dentist. Not going to happen. Why do they ask to sit in my section? He says, you don't want to know. And I said, yes, I do, because I need to know how big of an idiot I am. I want you to hear this. He said, they have one son. And when he was in college, he died in a car accident. So I would imagine that they asked to sit in your section because being around you reminds them of the time that they were around their only son and they're dealing with the grief of it. Church, I felt this small. Here I was with an opportunity to minister to hurting people, weak after week, after week, and I missed out on it for something as stupid and flippant as money because I was too busy to see that God had laid hurting people right in front of me. I didn't have the eyes to see it. I wonder how many opportunities you and I have really had to minister to hurting people who were just too busy. I want you to hear a story about the blind man at Bethsaida. This is one of the miracles that Jesus did. And I think we as a church have missed the whole reason that this is in the Bible. Or one of the major reasons, I should say. The healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. This is in Mark's gospel. So Mark was a disciple of Peter. Peter. you can tell by how Mark writes. Some people say this is Peter's gospel, really. He just used Mark to write it. And I want you to hear this. What's important about this before we go to the verse, it's Mark chapter 8, is that this is a really, really rare miracle of Jesus because it actually is in a two-step process, which is a whole other sermon. But I want you to see that this story illustrates the role of friendship, in other people's life to get healing. Don't miss this. Mark chapter eight. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. If you are one of those people that writes in your Bible like I am, underline some people brought and then underline the word begged. Begged. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And this is the part that always really grossed me out and I think maybe it sidetracked me from the the purpose of it all. This is Jesus. He spit on the man's eyes. It's gross. Put his hands on him and Jesus asked, do you need anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored and he saw everything Clearly, Now, now I told you to underline brought and begged, okay? So I want you to hear this. There are over 25 distinct miracles that are recorded in the Bible of Jesus. Did you hear me? Over half of them were initiated by other people. So in this story, I don't see anything in the documentation that shows that this man actually thought he could be healed. Because he didn't go to see Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, she had faith she could be healed. She sought Jesus. This guy, it says his friends brought him. And then his friends are the ones begging for him to be healed. 25, roughly, over half of them were initiated by other people bringing their friends to Jesus or bringing Jesus to their friends. Why is this important? Because there's people in our lives right now that don't have the faith to think that Jesus can heal them or use them or redeem them in the state they're in right now. And clearly in Scripture, God is saying, I need you to bring them to me. I need you to have the faith for them to be healed from their situation because they don't have it right now. God uses normal people to bring healing to others. So who in your life has God have an intersect with you right now? Your paths have crossed. Are they in the cubicle next to you at work? Are they your next door neighbor? Are they your children? Are they your family members? Who are they? And I believe firmly, if you want to be used by God, we got to bring people to Jesus. I think that we need to start defining who we are as believers instead of who we're not. So we're great at saying who we're not. We're great at buying into the trap of the media that's going to try to divide us based upon race, based upon wealth, based upon your political party. Oh my gosh, listen, those things mean nothing to the kingdom of heaven. Nothing. We're distracted by what separates us instead of what brings us together. So we've got to start telling the world who we are rather than who we're not. We can't win a world that we're mad at. We can't win a world that we're against. I'm friends with a lot of you on social media. I'm talking to you. So what am I doing about it? I'm trying to train my children who we are and what our purpose is here from a very young age. Now, we're not perfect, but we're practicing, trying to get better. In my house, we have a family motto. Why don't you come up here, sweetheart? In my house, we have a family motto because I want from a very young age to tell my kids who we are. If you have children and you don't have a family motto, how are they ever going to know who you are? I don't care if they're 30. Who are you? This is my daughter Callie, and I want you to hear out of her mouth what our family motto is the BA family motto. Say it, girl. We're the BAs, we're kind to everyone, we love Jesus, and we look for lonely people. Say it one more time, a little slower. We're the boss, we're kind to everyone, we love Jesus, and we look for lonely people. We're the boss, we're kind to everyone. Not nice, nice is so surface. We're kind, we love Jesus. Look for lonely people. There's a lot of lonely people around you every day. Are you looking for them? Do you have eyes to see them? We drop them off at school in the morning. It's the last thing we say. What's our Ba' family motto? Who are we? What's your purpose of being in school right now? I want you to get an A in math, but that's not why you're there. You're there to do ministry. Oh yeah, first grade. Look for lonely people. Look for lonely people used by God has a shelf life, just so you know. The moment that you die, you will no longer be able to look for lonely people. Those who are lost are lost. And if you're breathing, you ain't done yet. My challenge to you this week is to figure out what your family motto is. I don't care if you're empty nesters. I don't care if you never had children. I don't care what station in life you are. What is your family motto? Define who you now, my kids do throw in a little bit once in a while. They, they, they call some audibles and they throw in things like, and we love Chick-fil-A, or we have Taco Tuesday. And they throw all of the extra stuff in and, and so be it. I mean, I'm not against those things. But I don't want to constantly tell them who we're not because that doesn't mean actually anything. I want to tell them who they are and what their purpose is. Remind them every day. We're kind to everyone love Jesus and we look for lonely people. You are surrounded right now by lonely people in your life. You just may not be having eyes to see the hurting people that may be sitting next to you. I pray for you this week to be a normal person be used by God in big ways. Eyes to see. Would you stand with me, please? Let's close out prayer, and then we'll join and sing you one more time. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for myself. Oh, God, I pray that you give me eyes to see. And more than just looking at it, but I will be moved, God. I pray that you will help me be more willing to be inconvenienced to build your kingdom, God. Lord, your son, Jesus was not too busy to stop to talk to the one woman at the well. Remind me that I'm not too busy to minister to one person in a different town. God, as a community of believers, Lord, never let us be so satisfied that we get stuck in the quicksand of Christianity, God, that we are constantly looking for lonely people, for hurting people, and that we can carry people to you, God, they may not have the faith that they can be healed, but we can have the faith for them. Because one interaction with you can change the course of an eternity, God. May we have eyes to see this week, Lord. I love you, I praise you, and I would do anything for you and all God's people said, amen. One more time with me, will you give God a shout of praise?